Um, you, you open your Bibles again to the passage that was read, First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen, which obviously is on this subject of love. It's uh, love has love has some um, is used in ever so many ways, isn't it? The word love. Sometimes it's used almost exactly the same as like. Um, you might be feeling like I do at the moment, oh, I love a cup of tea. <laughs> well, if you weren't, you do now. <laughs> um, but, um, which really means I, I'd like a cup of tea. Or um, it can be used much the same as the word lust. Or it can be used in the same way as long, to long for something with that very emotional aspect of, of love, the, the longing of the heart. But in this chapter, uh, it's used with a sense of valuing the person who's loved, putting their needs ahead of your own, seeking their good. And we reach, reach something of a definition or outworking of what love is in the middle verses of this chapter. But we're not going to look at those tonight, because I'm actually planning a four-part series on this chapter. This evening, to look at the first three verses, um, under the heading, Love is Essential. Then, second one, Love is Energetic. The third one, Love Emulates. Now, I had to look that up to make sure I'd use the right, I'd use the right word, um, but it means copies. It follows the example of the Lord Jesus. And then finally, looking at the last few verses, love is eternal. So for tonight, love is essential. Now don't, please don't get the feeling that I've chosen this passage and this, this subject for you because I think you need it more than anybody else. Um, but rather because I think we all need it all of the time. There, there was a, um, a short-term mission organisation that I very nearly went to um, serve with when I was a teenager that set this chapter as required reading every day for everyone in lead-up to a short-term mission uh, away together and then again as they were away together. Because as people working together for the Lord, it was essential that they were reminding themselves over and over and over again uh, of the vital importance of, of love. We all, I think, we all need to be reminded of this all of the time, and I most certainly do. So, that's, kind of, that's, that's the reason I'm, I'm doing this, because I don't think I'm getting at you particularly. Now, the primary setting of this, of course, is, is it's sandwiched between chapter uh, 11 and chapter... Sorry, chapter... I can't count. Chapter 12 and chapter 14... Um, and it's really about, very much about how to do church. How to use the gifts, talents, skills that God gives us as individuals to work together uh, in, in, a, in loving cooperation and consideration of each other for the glory of God. Um, how to do church. Uh, so we started reading from the end of chapter 12. I show you a, a more excellent way. It could be translated more excellent way or possibly the most excellent way. 
a more excellent way than being really rich in gifts or the most excellent way to use whatever gifts it may be that God has given you now because we'll look at it at, um, a section at a time this evening or a verse at a time this evening so um, first of all the next thing to, for tonight love is essential verse 1 Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In the eyes of God, whatever good we may do, whether it is speaking as in verse 1, or whether it is dealing with people, giving to people, helping people, um, if it is not done with love, it is of no value at all. An extraordinary thought, isn't it? That even if you give a person £100, that is of great value to them. With that £100, they can buy food, they can buy clothes, they can eat a room. That £100 is valuable to them. But if you do not give it with love, if you're not motivated by love, in the eyes of God, it is of no value at all. Love is essential verse 1 without love you damage yourself do you notice what he said there though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal I have become by acting, by speaking, in, uh, as, as in this verse, by speaking without love, I have become something less than I should have been. It has affected me personally. It has degraded me. It has devalued me. It has damaged me. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. First two he says, I am, but in this verse he says, I have become is done something to me by acting in a loveless way. Maybe um, Paul was thinking, <coughs> applying this to himself, and hoping his readers would apply it to themselves. But he once did speak out of love. Once he, the, the way he spoke was totally motivated with a, with a heart of love, desire for the good of other people. But if he allows something else to take the place of love he damaged he damaged himself he degraded himself and he comes to um, just be a, a load of noise one of, one of my teachers when I was in pri primary school I think it was maybe in secondary school such a long time ago um, would often say to a noisy class you've probably heard this as well empty vessels make the most noise <laughs> I don't know how many times I've heard that said. Someone empty of love can make a huge amount of noise and draw a great deal of attention to themselves. But actually they are damaging their own selves. If we, if we speak or whatever we do in order to draw attention to ourselves, to make ourselves feel better, to show off our own gifts or abilities, then we actually are damaging ourselves. Throughout these three verses, Paul is using kind of exaggerated sort of language. I think that's fairly obvious and become even more obvious in a moment. But even if we could praise God in all the languages on earth, 
and whatever and whatever languages angels speak. I know some people think that's Welsh, but I'm not persuaded <laughs> myself. But whatever whatever language it may be, um, or whatever languages they may it may they may be, um, however skillful we may might be, um, without love we are nothing. We. Um, we had a, a, a man from Russia, from Moscow, in our congregation um, a year or two ago, and um, I tried to greet him uh, in Russian, with about the only little tiny bit of Russian I knew, and I, I sort of said this to him, I'm not going to repeat it now for sake of embarrassment, but, and, and, he, and he said back to me from the congregation, he said, you just said goodbye. <laughs> so, you know, by trying to speak in different languages, you really can make a fool of yourself. Um, but so, uh, and <laughs> that did some some harm to my ego, I must admit. Um, but no, if we if we if we even even if we're praising God, singing singing a song, singing a hymn in church, but are not motivated by love, we are actually damaging ourselves. Better off speaking very simple, very plain English, in a loving way than sound really clever and really great but without love in God's ears it's just a loud noise like a, like a clanging gong or a cymbal just a loud noise he, Paul may even possibly have been thinking of the kind of instruments that were used in pagan worship in some of the um, temples in, in Athens it's possible but the same principle must apply to other deeds that we might do, not just speaking deeds. Things that once were done out of love but now are done just out of habit, perhaps with a sense of drudgery or even resentment or a judgmental spirit you've damaged yourself. Now a very helpful working example we have of this is found in the book of Revelation chapter 2 um, where the Lord Jesus from heaven is a, dictating a letter to be sent for the church in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, you might want to turn it up. I'm going to read some excerpts from it. Revelation 2, verses two, just some excerpts from verses 2 to 5. The church that was really strong in many ways, as we, as we will see, as we remind ourselves as we read this, um, here, here are some of the words of the Lord Jesus to that church. I know your works your labour, your patience. You've persevered and have patience and have laboured for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I didn't read all of the words, I'll fill in some of the gaps in a, a bit later on. But you see what the Lord Jesus, viewing that, that church from heaven, says about them. I know, I know how hard-working you are. I mean, I missed out bits about you've tested people's doctrine. and you're, you know, they, were, they, were, they were a sound church. They were a hard-working church, a persevering church. But this is what he found wrong with them. Uh, you've forsaken your first love. You're doing all these things without love. They were motivated by other forces, by other desires, by other feelings, by other emotions. We're forcing them along. 
whatever it might have been, pride perhaps. One, one doesn't know exactly. But what, notice what he said. Unless you change, I will take your lampstand away. I'm not having you there, supposedly representing me, but doing it without love. Take you away. The Lord Jesus would close that church down rather than have them do good things without love. Because love is essential. And they had defaced themselves in the eyes of the risen Lord Jesus and damaged themselves. And he would not have it. They had become just a noise and would be prevented from continuing as a church. Let's move on. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Now you can see something of the exaggerated language he's using here. But what can we learn from this? First of all, we learn from verse 1, without love we damage ourselves. Here we can see without love we are nothing. We are nothing. Or Paul instead of speaking of himself, I am nothing. Maybe he writes in the first person about himself uh, just to make it a bit easier for his readers to accept. You know, Paul's applying it himself. He, he does use this technique elsewhere in this letter. Writes about himself. Um, criticising himself in the hope that they will put themselves and see, well, well, what about me? What about me? Maybe he's doing it for that. Or maybe he actually had faced this problem in his own life. Because he was a man who had a tremendous gift of speaking. Who could fathom extraordinary mysteries. And who had great faith. And because of that faith he was enabled to do tremendous miracles. And maybe, and I would not be in the slightest bit surprised if ever so many people didn't say of Paul, what a great man. <laughs> Wouldn't you say that if we had put the Apostle Paul here to preach? What a great man. You know, or, or if, you know, if, he, if he'd healed you. Or through God had healed you through him. What a, what a great man. You know, God have him back. People would have spoken that way about him, wouldn't they? The people who believed the, the gospel through his lips. Well, obviously there were lots of other people who hated him, but lots of people would have said, what a great man he is. But what would Paul have realised about himself if forever he let himself do any of those things without love? They may say, I'm a great man, but I know I am nothing. I am nothing, unless I do this with love. I am nothing. If he spoke powerfully, but without caring about the needs of the people to whom he was speaking. He was nothing. He explained tremendous, wonderful truths, but not in a way that people would understand, but rather in a way that people would think how clever he was. He was nothing. Nothing. Pointless. Now the word have... Um, can also mean hold. And you could think of the position that 
any of us are in, when we try to serve God or serve one another, we need to have ability to do that, don't we? You know, whether it's, whether it's, whether it's making the tea afterwards. Oh, sorry, I've got a sore throat. Uh, whether it's making the tea afterwards, I've got a bit of a one-track mind. Or whether it's preaching a sermon. Or whether it's doing somebody's shopping. Or whether it's sitting down and listening to somebody for an hour or two. We need to have a skill for that. We need to have an ability. We need to have time, opportunity and ability to do that. And energy to do that. But we also need love to do that well. To do that properly in a way that honours God and really serves God's purposes. And we need to hold both of those things. But if ever it comes that we say, well I want more of the ability more of the power, more of the opportunity, more of the energy to do those things. And I will put that one down for a moment, so with two hands I can hold on to the gift, I will let go of the grace. Then actually we have, we have put down the better part. And what we have is, or rather what we are, is nothing. You might have great abilities, but you are without love no matter how other people may flatter or thank or applaud you are actually in the eyes of God nothing if you do not have love people may be helped through you but in the eyes of God you are nothing in his estimation you are nothing and if a whole church is like that then as we've seen it is disowned by God. Love is essential. It's a vital ingredient, in fact, in attaining wisdom in the first place. It's very interesting. Um, can I just read you a section from Colossians here? Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to close the service by reading a portion from the letter to Ephesus, the, Paul's letter to Ephesus, which really says very much the same, has very much the same idea. But here's, here it is from Colossians, which is quite similar in some ways to Ephesians. Colossians 2, verses 1 to 3. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is a connection between loving one another and understanding the greatness of the love of God for us. Let let me um, actually read those verses from Ephesians uh, to you now. I'll read them again at the end of the service. You'll recognise these ever so well. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
And he prays that they will be strengthened by the Spirit in their inner being. In other words, it's not easy to do and you need God's help to do this. So they may dwell together in love and therefore be able to understand more of the depths of God's love for them. It is as we share together the struggles of loving one another, the difficulties of getting on with each other, the difficulties of putting other people's needs before our own, whereas we try to exercise love toward each other, that we actually appreciate even more how much the holy God has done in loving us. Isn't it? Do you understand that? You know, the more you find it difficult to love someone else, the more you realise how amazing it is that God loves you. And it's a corporate thing. As we learn to love one another, so we actually perceive more and more of the love of God for us. And it's a blessed circle. The more we appreciate the love of God for us, the more we are motivated to love one another. It all works so beautifully together. And that was Paul's prayer, intriguingly, fascinatingly, for the church in Ephesus, to whom later the Lord Jesus said, you have forsaken your first love how much they needed to learn that lesson and they didn't they didn't learn the lesson that Paul so much wanted them to learn a vital vital ingredient uh, and without it we are, we are nothing let's move on though, verse 3 and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing lesson I think from this verse is this Without love, you gain nothing. So without love, you damage yourself. Without love, you are nothing. Without love, you gain nothing. If Paul or you or I do, do extraordinary things like these, even giving all that we possess to, 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 to feed the poor, and even if our bo- we, we give our bodies to be burned, perhaps we are brave in, in, and face opposition to the extent that we are killed, martyred for our faith, if we do extraordinary things like that without love, then actually we gain nothing from it. Nothing at all. Because in God's eyes, it is nothing. Though he's using exaggerated language, I think you could just about imagine somebody giving all that they own for the sake of the poor. You could just about imagine that. And some people perhaps have, and some Christians perhaps have, and some people perhaps of other religions have done such things but what we learn from this is that actually in God's eyes it is nothing and therefore gains nothing for you even martyrdom it is not done out of an attitude of love it is nothing it damages well it damages you obviously but it damages you not just physically but it damages you spiritually and it gains you nothing It shows, doesn't it, the absolute futility of trying to earn our salvation by doing good deeds. It shows how impossible it is. Because as soon as you start trying to start doing good deeds in order to gain merit with God, you are no longer doing it out of love for the person you're helping. And therefore it gains you nothing because it, it is you are nothing. In fact, you're doing yourself harm. 
by trying that. Do you follow that? You know, if you have a if you have a belief, a religion that says do good deeds in order to earn merit with God, you are therefore not doing those good deeds because you love the other person. You're doing it because you love yourself and you want to gain something from it within the eyes of God. Therefore, you gain nothing. It is impossible to um, to aim to uh, earn salvation by doing good deeds. It has to be a gift from God that rescues us. As soon as you introduce the, the motivation of, of self-gain, you devalue the act itself and gain nothing through it. So here are the, here's the question then. What are we supposed to do then? Okay, here is someone who can speak very well. But actually... They, they realise, well, I don't do it out of love. I, I do it because I, I enjoy it. I do it to boost myself up. I do it so other people can see how clever I am. But I don't, I rarely do I do it out of love. What should they do? Should they stop? Here is someone who can answer every question in the Bible study. Bible study. You know, someone asks a question, they always know the answer. They know whether it's Bible trivia. They know. They know. You know. They know every every single detail of the Bible. They, they're walking concordance, or whether it's some knotty theological controversy. They know the answer. They can quote this. They can quote that. They know all the names. They know all the books. They've read the lot. They know it all. Should they not share their knowledge if they realise actually, I can't stand these people I'm with. I think they're a load of nutcases. I think they're way below me. I'd be much happier in a different church or a different group, but, you know, they, they need my help. Should they shut up? Should they, not, should they not share their knowledge and their wisdom and their understanding? Well, here's someone who has great faith, who, who, really, who really prays really, really fervently with great faith and seen many, many answers to prayer. But they realise they're not really a very loving person at all. Should they stop praying? Here is someone who is generous. Gives sacrificially. But does it for all sorts of bad reasons. Perhaps they want to buy influence. Perhaps they want to feel good about themselves. Perhaps they're trying to do something about a sense of guilt somewhere else. To make up for failings in other areas of their life also what should they stop giving here's a apologies great musician yeah. but when they realize they're just really just blowing their own trumpet should they stop and let everybody sing off out of tune in other words if you're doing the right thing but for the wrong reason what should you do should you stop doing the right thing well, what should you do? Well, I think if you stop doing the right thing, you're doubly defeated. Defeat number one is you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Defeat number two is you're not even doing the right thing anymore. So what should you do? Well, obviously the answer is to work on your motive. To do the right thing and to get your motive to catch up with your actions. To search your heart and do the right thing for the right reason. And then we come back to the Lord Jesus sending this letter to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Let me read some of the bits I missed out. 
Revelation 2 verses 4 to 5. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Three R's. Remember, repent, repeat. Verse 5, remember. Remember, therefore, where you, from where you have fallen. Look back. Look back. Try to find a time when you did the right thing with a heart full of love, with a mind full of love, with motiv- motivation to help other people because you just wanted to help them. Not because you wanted to get anything back, not because you were trying to dis- do something about guilt in other areas of your life or anything like that, but just you just wanted to help. See if you can find a time in your life when you were like that, when you did the right thing for the right reason. Remember that. Fill your think about, think about what's motivating you now and what was motivating you then. And what, what, but what if you find there never was a time? There never was a time when I did the right thing for the right reason. I've always been screwed up. I've always been selfish. I've always been self-centered. I've always been thinking about myself far more than anybody else. What if you discover that about yourself? What are you to do then? Maybe some of us are like that. Maybe a lot of us are like that. What are we to do? We discover we discover that actually we aren't the sort of person we really wish we had, we really wish we were. And we never have been. We're not a nice person. We're not a loving person. We're actually selfish. Deep down inside, we're selfish. What are we to do? Well, obviously, we are, we are to be honest with ourselves. And to confess. To confess to God that we have fallen far short of what he counts as being important in a person's life. To say to ourselves and to God, I realise in your sight, I have absolutely nothing at all to claim. I have no leverage. I have no reputation. I deserve no respect. I have damaged myself. And I am nothing. I can hope to gain nothing at all. I am hopeless. To confess that to God. Now whether you are a believer or whether you are not yet a believer... That's what we need to do, isn't it? Lord, I'm exposed. You've shown me the truth about myself. I'm selfish. Confess that to yourself. And confess it to God. And say, Lord, in your mercy, will you look upon a nothing like me and love me? Can you do that, Lord? And you love me. And you know what the answer to that is, don't you? You know what the answer to that is? Yes. Yes, you can. You really, really can. And he really, really does. So much so that the Lord Jesus came and lived a life of absolutely perfect love and died a death 
motivated by perfect love for loveless people love to the loveless show that's the first R remember which means think about doesn't it it involves thinking about second one is repent remember therefore from where you have fallen repent repent fundamentally means change your mind or your attitude and therefore change the actions that flow from it change your mind change your thinking seek God's help to change to be different from what you are to be motivated in a different way now I'm going to borrow from what I think will be the third talk in this series um, and, and I would say this look, do what I will probably ask you to do then or in preparation for then look at these central verses of this chapter really from verse 4 through verse um, 7 4, 5, 6 and 7 the way the, uh, love is defined Meditate upon that. Think about every word there. And think about, think about it in this way. Think about how Jesus loved people that way. Love is, love suffers long. Love is, and is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. Think about the way the Lord Jesus was like that. And particularly the way he was like that in his relationships with other people. And think about how he is like that with you, personally. That's how he loves you. That is the perfect love of Jesus. Described in lots of different ways in, in those central verses of this chapter. Meditate upon it. Perhaps take one a day. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. Perhaps just take one a day. And think how Jesus loves you that way. Think about how he, how, how he loved people that way, that he met day by day. Think about how he loved you that way as he died on the cross for you. And then say, Lord, please help me to trust that. Help me to trust you. Help me to trust your love. And help me to be changed by your love. So that I will learn to love your way as well. Repent, change the way you think and therefore ultimately the way that you behave. We cannot love other people unless we first receive God's love for us, can we? We can't. We love because he first loved us. That's, that's, that's the way we love. As we receive his love for us, so we are changed and learn to love each other in response and to love him, of course, as well. And then uh, the third R is repeat. Do the first works. In other words, don't stop doing the good things you're doing, but just do them the right way. Do them the right way. So if you're, if you're doing a good thing for a bad reason, change the reason. Don't stop doing the, right, the good thing. Work on the reason, the motivation that lies behind it so that you end up doing them out of love. Now look, as I said, we can't, we, we can't get anywhere, anywhere near this until we've really received, that's why I say meditate on those central verses. 
Think about how the Lord Jesus loved people when he was on earth. And then think, Lord Jesus, do you love me like that? Can you love me like that? The person I am? Can you really love me like that? Can you be patient with me like that? Can you bear with me, suffer long with me like that? And the answer is, yes, I can. I died on the cross for you. I suffered there. I suffered there in dark agony. I can love you like that. Trust him. Trust him to love a nobody, a nothing, a failure, a self-centered, selfish person. Trust him. Trust him to love you. And then learn to love him back and learn to love one another more and more and more. I'm going to stop there for tonight. But my next talk, I hope, will be on this subject again. But to notice from those central verses, before we get into the meaning of each word, notice from those central verses that love is not just an emotion, but it is an emotion. Love is energetic. So kind of this evening been thinking about what a person who's doing the right thing but for the wrong reason. Well now, next time, hopefully, I will be able to think about what about the person who says they love God but doesn't do anything about it, doesn't show in their life. Because love is not just an emotion, but it is an emotion. It gets you going, gets you active, doing things as well, motivated by, by love. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God and loving Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you, you are love. It's so important for us to remember that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, dwelling together through all eternity in love. Love. So, oh Lord, it is so essential that we should love too. We know that we will not be we will not get anywhere near anywhere near the, the love that you have, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Nowhere near the love you have for the world in giving your only begotten Son, Heavenly Father. Nowhere near the love of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of sinful people, changing them, drawing them to God. But oh Lord, we we know it's so important that we should strive for this. It's so essential that we receive your love for us. That we would be changed from the inside. Rescued, redeemed, forgiven, cleansed and transformed. Help us to meditate upon your love, Lord Jesus. To, be, to trust you for it. And to be changed by it.